Amen. Amen. I'm excited about what God is doing in this world. You know, there's times where you can get focused on things that don't look great. We can do that, right? Or we can also look at the fact that God is moving. He does things. He's, he is working. He's always working. Uh, Frank shared a word with me this morning that I believe is for all of us to think about. You know, we are going to have a time of prayer at the altars after the service. And uh, God does things, and he can work anywhere, anywhere. But there's something in that changes things when you say, yes, I'm going to go down. Well, you move, and you, you put something into that. So maybe God is working on your heart today, and you might be saying, well, he can work on me here. Yeah, he can, totally can, and he does. But I'll just tell you, if you respond and uh, come down for prayer, it's just a little different. God works differently in that case. So, Hey, you know what I was thinking about all, all week and all last week was, have you heard that phrase, follow your heart? Follow your heart? It, it sounds good, right? It's a nice sentiment. It, it sounds positive and good. And, and, uh, but, man, it's just, it's just been on my mind so much in the last few weeks. Follow your heart, follow your heart, follow your heart. But if, let me just ask you a question, though. If we follow our hearts, can we be trusted? Can people depend on us if you follow your heart? Can we depend on, can we depend on us? <laughs> can you even depend on you if you're following your heart? Let's think about this for a moment. What does it even mean? I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just that guy. I don't know. I just sit and ponder and think, God, what, is it, what does it really mean? What do people mean by that for real? Because there's so many things we say and words matter. I mean, they have meaning. They have deep meaning. And as you say things to people, uh, it, it does mean something, and then you don't always know for sure if they understood what you meant when you said it, or if the meaning that you intended is what they grabbed a hold of and, and took. And so, I, you know, there's, there's a nice thing about it. You know, what do you, follow your heart. But what does it mean? Let me ask you some questions. I'll give you some examples. Are, are we supposed to follow our heart when we commit to our husband or wife at the altar when we get married? Now, now, to be fair, at that point, the heart's pretty aligned with the commitment, right? <laughs> usually, usually when they're at the, I mean, hopefully, prayerfully, uh, or don't get married. But when you're there, you're saying, what, what, what is even the point of a marriage ceremony? The point is that I'm, my heart may not always be here, but my commitment is here. There's a difference. Do you follow your heart then? Because what part of your heart are you following so the commitment says they're going to stay committed regardless of their heart. Remember how it goes, the classic, for better or for worse? Why do we even say that? Because you're not always going to feel like it, right? For richer, for poor, good times and bad, to love and to cherish from this day forward until death. We... Why would you even say that if your heart was always aligned with your commitment? Because it's not, right? Does it make sense? Sometimes it even gets weird. I've used this example before, but I, I couldn't help myself. It just pops in my head, and I, the more I look into it, the weirder it gets. Now, some of you younger people may not have ever heard of Woody Allen, and that's fine. You probably, you're fine if you never heard of him. He's actually a very successful, famous, right, director. I don't know if you're aware of this, but he, he wasn't actually married to Mia Farrow, but he lived with her. They had a relationship that extended for many, many years, but before they were married, or before they started, it was just messed, the whole thing was messed up. But Mia Farrow actually adopted a little girl um, named Sun Yi with Andre, Andre, Andre Previn before. So when uh, Woody Allen started um, the relationship with Mia Farrow, she was nine. But then they separated when Mia found out after quite a long time that he had been having a, a, an affair with her. And then he ended up, he did actually marry Sun Yi later, married his stepdaughter. 
And when asked about it, here's what he said. The heart wants what the heart wants. That's what he said. I've always just, remember that when I heard that, and it's been years ago, but I remember when I heard it, I was just dumbstruck by his statement. But what was even more uh, shocking to me is that the, the uh, reporter who asked him that said, oh, okay, and walked on like that was a good answer. Like, hold on, hold, hold on. <laughs> Follow your heart is great, ex- except for times when the heart's not really going the right. What about when somebody joins the military? Do you follow your heart? I mean, do you follow your heart when you're in, a, in battle and bullets are flying? I mean, really, what does your heart say to do? <laughs> I'm out of here, right? But there's a commitment that said, no, I'm here with, with the people on the right and left, and we're, we are here and we're committed. And those of you who've been in the military, how about, how about on those marches and how about that, the running? I will never forget, you know, it makes you feel like such a, such a, I don't know, a slug or a loser. But, you know, I, as a youth pastor, I take my students to the beach all the time. You know, that's what we do. That's what, that was my job, right, in the summer in San Diego when I was a youth pastor in my home church. And this happened more than once. But, you know, we, we, maybe we had just thrown the Fisbury on or played some football and we're sitting on the beach. And all of a sudden, you look out in the water in Coronado and you're like, oh, my goodness, what? And these, you know, like hundreds of guys come popping out of the water because they had been dropped off three miles away and swam all the way in. Do you think they felt like it? Where do you think their heart was in that moment? I'm sure their heart was looking at us like, oh my gosh, I can't believe those guys are just chilling on the beach with a, you know, soda or whatever. I remember one time we were sitting there and, and teams of SEALs were running by. This is honest goodness truth. They're on full, full fatigues and combat boots and they're running five of them, teams of five carrying telephone poles, real telephone poles on their shoulders, running on the beach in the sand and then they kept, they were doing, like they had a cadence going, and they would take it and move it up, and then over the next shoulder, run, run. I wonder where their hearts were at right the moment. <laughs> I don't know, I don't know, honestly, but, but I'll tell you this. Uh, when you make a commitment to the military, you can't just follow your heart and say, I'm done, or I've worked too hard, or my day is over. It doesn't work that way. How about, how about when you sign a contract with a job? I know people who have to actually sign a a non-disclosure agreement because maybe what they're working on is top secret and there's other companies trying to steal their information. You know, uh, industrial sabotage is a big deal and espionage, it's a big deal. And that's actually a commitment and your heart may not be in it at the moment or whatever. And when you say, I'm gonna show up at this time, how many, how many of you woke up even today and said, I don't know if my heart's into this alarm, yeah. right? Or you wake up and you think, I'm not sure I'm ready for this day, or I've had a long day, or I've had a long week, or the kids have kept me up all night, or whatever it is, your mind is going, and things are on your mind, and a lot of times our heart is not working all day long, but you, you agree to work from whatever it is, eight to five, or whatever your, your time is, to give your best. What about when you're tempted to te- cheat at school? <laughs> you know, the, the material is really hard, and and you intended to study, but you didn't study enough, and you're just not prepared, and it's just not fair. And, you know, the kids are smarter than you anyway. And what if, I mean, is your heart in it? Hmm. And you have an opportunity, and no one will know. How about when someone mistreats you, and they're really unfair to you? Or maybe they exclude you, or maybe they call you names, or, or they just don't check on you, and you can tell they don't care. and They neglect you, or ignore you, or exclude you, whatever it is. What does your heart say then? Can you trust your heart? Now, we're going to have a little fun with this, I hope. How many of you remember Pinocchio, the movie? Remember that? Anybody know what year that came out? I'm just kidding. 1940. So, yeah. Remember the song, though? 
when you wish upon a star. You can sing with me. Let's go. Makes no difference who you are. Come on now. I can't do it. I can't get that high. Anything your heart desires will come to you. Is that true? It's sweet. It's cute. We want kids to dream. I'm not trying to crush your dreams today. I'm not. Sorry if, if you didn't. <laughs> Somebody said you just did. All right. Sorry. If, if you thought Pinocchio was real and Jiminy Cricket could sing, I'm sorry. I am deeply sorry. Anything your heart desires will come to you. Anything? Really? Because you know what? If I, there's a lot of times my heart desires things that I know aren't right. And I look at it and I say, God, forgive me for, change my heart. How about Frozen? You guys don't know that one? 2013? This is the intro to this, what, the website I was looking at that gave me the lyrics. It said, this cathartic, listen to this. I really want you to listen to this wording because I'm like, wow, those are big words. Okay, for Frozen, but okay, listen. This cathartic purge of pent-up energy is Elsa's way of sticking two fingers up at the world. I'm guessing it was these fingers, right? Yep. And being herself, just as she is. The following two parts are key in this song. Let it go. I'm not singing it. I'm just not. Because it was, it was, let it go. I can't hold it back anymore. But here's the part that kills me. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Wow. You know what's funny about songs like that? They kind of get in your head, don't they? You don't even try to memorize them and you do. Now, thankfully, my kids were a little older for the, the frozen part, but, but some of them, I, I, I've got them down really well. You know, I, I do. I know a lot of Disney songs. We used to sing, I used to sing them to my kids all the time, my girls all the time. Theo didn't care, but my girls cared. We'd sing them all the time. In fact, I don't know if any of you play Trivia Crack, but there's one of the games in there is Disney sing-along, and you have to complete the words. I know them all. It's crazy. I don't even mean to, and I know them all. How about Aladdin, 1992? A Whole New World, remember that? I can show you the world. You want to sing with me? Shining, shimmery, splendid. Tell me, princess. Now there's a part. Now, someone's going. Now, when did you last let your heart decide? When did you let your heart decide? I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be mean and pick on Disney. I'm not, honestly. It's not really even about them. It's not about them. I just don't. The point is, I don't let them determine my worldview. But when you, when you have it in there like that and it starts to sneak up on people, then you start to actually think that that's an accurate worldview and it's okay to just follow your heart. But the problem is our hearts, a lot of times we can't trust it and it's not scriptural. It's not what God wants us to do. We shouldn't be surprised that, that the world doesn't have a Christian worldview. They're not Christians. Disney wasn't a Christian. He wasn't trying to, to spread the gospel. I don't know if you've ever noticed. There's no church on Main Street and that was by design. He, he, he wasn't about that. He was about giving kids, you know, an experience that's, that's different. You can stand, like, I don't know Disney World as much as I know Disneyland because I grew up in California, but it was designed so that wherever you stand in the park, you can't see the outside world. They wanted to create a unique environment there, so I, I'm not faulting them for that. What I'm talking about here is the worldview that creeps into your heart and mind, and it's in an insidious way through songs that you sing as a kid, and you start to think, you know what, the world is all about me, and if I just dream it, and if I want it, my heart is good, and what my heart wants is good. 
Sometimes that's true. There's good people in the world. But most of the time, it's not like that. So can you follow your heart? Well, actually, let me ask a different question. And I'm going to repeat this question throughout the day. So just warning you in advance. Can the Bible overrule your heart? Can the Bible overrule your heart? So let me ask you, what's your ultimate source of authority? The ultimate source of authority. The final answer. The final. Who decides? When push comes to shove, what is it that says, yes, this is the truth? And no matter what I feel, or no matter what I think, or no matter what anybody says, this is what I follow. Now, last week, we talked about the Bible being that. We talked about the fact that you can trust that what we read today is what they wrote. It's a miracle. It's, a miracle. it's miraculous. It stands up to any other ancient book it, it, ten times better. It's, there's no comparison. We talked about some prophecies. I mean, I can tell you day in, day out, and show you proofs that it's the word of God. But if you choose to not believe that, then you choose to put something else as the authority. And that's just the facts. It's just who it is. It's just how it is. We can debate, we can do it, but you have to get this. You have to believe it, accept it, and here's a word that's not popular in our culture, submit to it. I heard somebody say this, and it, it, it shook me a little bit, because it said, if the Bible doesn't correct you once in a while and step on your toes, you're probably not reading it right. It is our authority. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God. And it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. How many of you enjoy correction? Okay, one hand. One of us does. I don't like it. <laughs> Even as I was leaving kids camp, and maybe because I was tired, I don't know, because I definitely checked myself and I said, Whoa, what was that attitude? Because I, I was driving, Dave North, thankfully, you know, we, we rented his bus from him, and I'm driving it out, and at one point, there was a, a van that probably didn't see me, because there's a bunch of vans and buses leaving and all that, and he was pulling out, so I saw it, but then someone just standing there, just a normal guy standing there, puts his hand up, like, stop, to me, you know, I'm like, <laughs> like, I didn't know you your correction, I can see it, but you know what, I honestly, I didn't, hopefully, I, he probably couldn't see my face, and I didn't say anything, but inside I thought, who, are, who do you think you are? This guy's just trying to help, and he's trying to make sure nobody gets hurt, and he just, you know, but I thought, I, I mean, literally, the thought crossed my mind, what's this guy trying to tell me how to drive? <laughs> I laughed, I laughed at myself, but, but I also thought, what is wrong with you? Can the Bible overrule your heart? Can the Bible overrule your heart? Now, an easy litmus test, I've used this for years. It's a great tool. Just keep this in mind. If you want to just gauge a belief system uh, and, and determine, you know, is it, is it how it stands or stacks up to Christianity, the first thing you need to find out is what is the source of authority? So obviously, with some religions, it's going to be their book, whether that's the Koran or the Book of Mormon or maybe a, pro a prophet they have. There's other things, though. The ultimate source of authority. Is it some news person you watch or a politician or Oprah? Just kidding. I don't know if she's still a thing or not. I don't know. But is it parents? Is it the news? Is it your feelings? Is it the Bible? When you decide that, what is the source? Who determines our, our behavior and what is right and wrong? The second thing you want to check is what they think about Jesus. Is he the son of God? 
Did he come and, and die for our sins? Is he the only way to salvation? Only way? He said that. He said that he was the only way. And then the third thing would be, okay, we have a sin problem. How do we get to heaven? You answer those three questions, it'll give you a pretty, pretty clear idea of what's going on here. And I, I may have talked this before, but you know, lawyers have a, have a way they go about their case. If they have the facts on their side, what do they argue? The facts. What if they don't? Then what they have to do is discredit the other person's facts, either their experts or their witnesses or the facts, right? So if, you, if your intention was to discredit Christianity, you would go after our source of authority. And you would say that the Bible is fallible. It's got problems. It's got flaws. It's, it's not accurate. It it's, wasn't translated correctly. You would have to criticize some part of that and destroy the source of authority. What's sad is some of this is coming even from people uh, that claim to be Christians. Some people are saying things like, Jesus only used the scriptures where they were nonviolent or non-judgmental, Or that, um, that I heard a guy speaking and he said this. He said he reads the Bible and then he asks the spirit of Jesus to tell him what that should mean to him. And as I heard that, I thought, wait a minute. You're, you're basically just saying you're deciding what parts of scripture are true or not. I didn't, I didn't show this picture today, but has anybody seen Jefferson's Bible? Remember Thomas Jefferson, third, third president? He was actually a deist, so he didn't believe that Jesus did miracles here on earth. He didn't believe in the miraculous. So what he did is he clipped out everything in the New Testament, in the Bible, that was miraculous. Anything having to do with prophecy. And so there's, I know the Smithsonian, I think, has three of his, and I think there's two others in private collections. But it's comical if you look at it, because it's, it's the Bible, but then there's all these pages missing where he clipped out things. But don't we do that when we don't like what it says? We don't clip it out, but we just ignore it or act like it's not real or we say Jesus didn't really mean it that way or something wasn't like that. So here's two problems with this. The first problem is it's just not true. That's not how it was. Jesus did call sin, sin, and he told people to to go and sin no more. He did hang out with sinners, but he didn't do it in a way to condone their sin. He actually confronted their sin and then he corrected them and forgave them and they moved on and changed. That's the difference, just like he does with us. He affirmed the Old Testament law, including sexual immorality, which would have included things like premarital sex and extramarital sex, homosexual sex, pedophilia. Those things are clearly uh, forbidden, and he forbade it. He affirmed marriage. He affirmed all those things. The second thing you've got to think about is, what is that source of authority? It was Jesus's. He referred to that often. So let me ask you again. Can the Bible overrule your heart? What if what you feel is different than that? Is it your source of authority? Here's the thing. Talk is cheap. But whatever you do actually reveals what you really believe. Have you ever noticed that? I can say things, but if I don't act on it, I don't really believe it. That's just track. That's just the truth. That's why one of my favorite scriptures is, is 1 John 3.18, which says, Dear children, don't, don't just talk but do. Don't say you love people, but actually do things that show it. I don't know about you, but there's been times where somebody's told me something, and I wonder, do I really believe you? You have to behave and change things. Your belief actually determines that. So I'm going to show you a couple pictures that kind of relate to this. Before you show those, don't show them yet, but um, I had a, one of my former students years ago. I was in California. One of my former, former students called me up and said, hey, um, we heard there's a cool bungee jump over there in, in uh, your area, we want to do it. 
And I read, I thought, oh, okay, that sounds cool. So we went over to the Queen Mary, which is in Long Beach. It was docked in Long Beach. And they had this huge tower. You can, you can show one of those now. And so they had this huge tower. It was 235 feet uh, above the water. And so, um, so as you look at that real quick, that is me. And I do have hair at that point. But let me just tell you how it works. You sit there, and for about 20 minutes, they give you this whole speech about how they're going to do it and how they're going to uh, put the harness on your feet or on your ankles. And they tell you all this about the bungee cord. And uh, so we started asking questions. Well, like, how many times has this been used? Is it, is it frayed at all? I mean, how do you test it? I mean, we are asking all these questions, and the guy's telling us. So here's what happens. At some point, I have to trust him as my source of authority for this bungee jump. Does that make sense? Or else what? Or else I walk. I'm not going to put my life in his hands if it's not true, right? Does that make sense? You see the difference? It's one thing if I say I believe, but if I don't actually act on it, I don't really believe it. And there was that choice that day. There was like five of us who did it that day. It was pretty funny. If you want to show the next picture, um, this, this was actually a water touch. You can see the water at the bottom there. What you cannot see is they did mismeasure. We were supposed to just touch the water, but they misjudged my weight, I guess, or something. I don't know. But when I was in the water, like up to my knees, I was thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> you know, how deep am I? And how deep is this water? I don't even know. You know, like if I'm going to hit the bottom of this. And it's weird. Anybody else been bungee jumping? Really? Okay, so it's a cool thing. When you do it, you actually hit a terminal spot there where you stop. Okay, when you jump, it is the most incredible uh, rush of all. I mean, it's even, I mean, I've been skydiving totally more than that. Because you're, you know, 235 feet, you're looking down at the ground. When you jump, I mean, you just lean over there and jump. You're looking straight down and you're falling, you know, as fast as uh, any object would fall. But then when you hit the bottom, you do pause for us. Uh, it's, a, it's a split second. But it feels like forever. You're like, am I coming back up? And then boom, you're way all the way to that top. Do you know what my heart was saying at that moment? Do you know what my heart was saying when I was standing on the edge right there? Because they hold on to your belt, basically, and they want you to lean over like this. And then as you get to a certain spot, you just, you just bounce with your toes so you get a nice arc all the way down. Do you know what my heart was saying? Like, you are a moron right now. Like, you don't even know this guy. And I, I had seen other people jump, but it wasn't me, Right? At that point, I had to let my trust in this person I did not know overrule my heart, right? At that moment, too, plus, plus let's be honest, you're, you're, I'm there with former students. You know, I got to do it because there's pride now. So your pride is like, oh, gosh, just do this and get it over with. But it was awesome. I'd do it, I'd do it again. But can the Bible overrule your heart? I keep coming back to this because I really want you to think this through. When you're confronted with an opinion that, that you don't like or makes you feel bad, or maybe somebody says to you something that you know is, is, is against what Scripture teaches, you've got to figure this out. Because I, I want you to really cling to this so deeply. God doesn't just put arbitrary rules to keep you from having fun. He actually cares about your heart. And he cares about everything. He cares about your relationships, your family. And he, he has a plan for you and your life. And it is good. 
And his plan and the rules he gives us are not meant to keep us from having fun. They're meant to provide and protect us. Protect us from all the things that sin brings that you don't, you don't realize when you're doing it. And he tries to provide for you a great life. That is his goal. Not only does he have a plan for your life, but the enemy does as well. And his plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what he's after. So when you hear an opinion that, that violates what you know the Bible teaches, what do you do? And what if it's your friend? What if it's a family member? What if it's a parent? And you know what? It's not new. You start to feel this thing. Well, maybe, maybe what I feel should, maybe the Bible's not right and I should. It's not new. It's an old strategy. The enemy used it in the garden. He placed Adam and Eve in the garden in a perfect place and he told them you could have this entire garden. A lot of times we just focus on the tree they couldn't have, which is what they did. How many times has somebody said, don't touch the paint? Who else touches wet paint? Thank you. And it says wet paint, don't touch. And I'm like, is it still wet? I, it looks kind of shiny. I don't know if it's just wet. Who does that? Human beings do that. And so instead of focusing on all the goodness God provided, all they could think about is what, what the one thing they weren't supposed to do. So the enemy comes to them, and the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord had made. And one day he asked the woman, listen to what he says. Did God really say... That's exactly what the world is doing to us today. Did he really say? He's putting the seed of doubt in our heart. Did God really say it? And then she answers him, of course we can eat from all the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit of the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, don't even eat it or touch it. And if you do, you will die. Then the serpent flat out, flat out contradicts God. He says, you won't die. He's doing the old lawyer thing. He's attacking the credibility of the person who set it up. Can the Bible overrule your heart? It's a question. What if, what if people call you names? What if they accuse you of hate? What if they say that you're afraid or you're cruel or mean? Or There's so many things that are said today. What they're basically doing is saying, you're not welcome to sit with them. Anybody remember that campaign, you can sit with us? That was a sweet, good thing. But we're basically told, no, you can't. You know what that's called? That's actually bullying, but it's very common today. There's a lot of judgmentalism going on. The American Bible Society did a huge study. One of my friends sent me the study uh, in the United States. It was a state of the Bible, they call it, for 2022. And this may seem obvious to you, but... People, what a cool thing, they, they did all this study and they dug really deep into people that answered this, these surveys, but they, they've pointed out the fact that people who are engaged in the Bible actually live better lives. Big surprise. But what they found is there's been a steady decline in Bible engagement from generation to generation to generation. So maybe this is obvious, but, but our oldest generations have the most Bible engagement and it descends down to Gen Z. But there was really a cool thing in there. And it pointed out that Gen Z actually rivals the engagement in one area of our oldest uh, Christian people. You know what it is? They are curious about the claims of Jesus and the Bible. So let me ask you, how do we do this? What do we do? How do we, how do, we do this? How do we engage people who, at least they're curious. We want them to be curious. So how do you re-engage with with a world that seems angry and upset about everything Christianity teaches. How do you do that? I'm going to go back to this well again here. Jesus said this, and I want you to listen carefully. 
But to you who are willing to listen. Oh, that's a great phrase, isn't it? Who's willing to listen? Are you willing? I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Now, unbelievers, they mock prayer a lot these days. That's okay. They don't have to believe in it for us to do it. They don't. It's the most powerful thing you can do. Do you realize what you're doing when you pray? I mean, have you thought about this? I know we talk about it. And back in the day, I remember this corny song. Was it, I got Jesus on the main line, right? Tell him what you need. But, boy, that's dated. You know who you're talking to? You are literally talking to the maker of heaven and earth. The creator of the universe. The only one who actually knows everything. Now, I know some of us think we know everything. He actually knows everything. He knows every detail of whatever situation you're talking to him about before you even talk to him. How many times has that happened to you where maybe your kid or a young person comes up and says, oh, did you know this? And they're all excited. And what do you do? You cut them off and say, yeah, I don't know all that already. No, you let them tell you. And, and you're, you're listening and you're waiting for the good parts because you already know. He knows it all. He knows what happened. He knows who hurt you. He knows what they did. He knows what they said. He knows that the, the, the things that they're doing in their life that are destroying him, and it breaks his heart as much as it breaks yours. When you talk to him, you're connecting with him. He's the one who loves everybody perfectly, you and them. No one else has that relationship with them that he could have, and he's the one who can actually change things. He's the miracle worker. He's the one who knows the future. He's that one. Did you catch that love part? Supposed to love your enemies? You know what I did? I actually looked it up because, you know, there's different words for love in the Bible, and I was hoping it was kind of the pizza love. You know what I'm talking about? Like you love pizza? Anybody else love pizza? But do you love all pizza? Okay, the pineapple thing, I think it's weird. I'm not doing that. But if you're talking about a meat pizza with black olives, I love, love that. I love that. But that's not the kind of love. It wasn't that love. When Jesus says to love your enemies... It was the God love, the agape love, the unconditional love. The love that loves despite what people do and say. Can you follow your heart and do that? No. But you can follow his heart and do that. And ultimately, he gives you the right heart. I'll tell you, it's powerful. That kind of love, it it literally changes our behavior And he put it right in the verse. It it causes you to do good and to not ignore them. It causes you to not give a cold shoulder, but to do good, to actually act on it. It's a powerful, it's a kind of love that changes the way you talk. Think about this for a second. If you read that verse again, it says, love your enemies, do good. That's love, do good. And then it says, bless those who curse you. That's That's talking about what you say. So the words out of your mouth are blessings, not curses. Pray for those who hurt you. That is action. So can the Bible overrule your heart, Christian? Because we have hearts too. When you don't feel like loving, when you don't feel like blessing, when you don't feel like doing, can it overrule your heart too? You have to let it. It has to contradict your feelings. It has to be something that changes everything. Pastor Nick, if you join me up here. Let me take this a step further and just say this. It's, it's actually hard to pray for people and be angry at them. I don't know if you've noticed that. It is. What I've noticed is the more I pray for people, the more God works on my heart and I actually start to care about what's going on, why they think what they think, 
What has brought them to this point in life where they are doing the things they're doing? The compassion grows because that's God's heart. He intended it that way. You know what else? It's actually uh, hard to be disgusted with people and witness to them at the same time. You ever notice that? How in the world are you going to share the good news of Jesus, the saving grace of forgiveness, the fact that he doesn't give us what we deserve? How are you going to share that with them uh, if, if you don't care about them? You're just not. I mean, there's people that you need to engage with that are skeptics or unbelievers or flat-out haters or judgers or whatever. You cannot care about them and share Christ with them without spending time. I'm going to challenge you to do this today. Here's the challenge. First thing is this. Will you let the Bible overrule your heart? It's easy to point the finger at other people, but I'm talking about you. Your heart. When your heart is hurt, your heart is wounded, your heart is upset, it may be the course of, of the, the world or the country or whatever. Will you pray? Will you let that happen? The second thing is this. I'm going to challenge you to pray for specific things in your life. Specifically for conversations with people. Unbelieving people, skeptical people, angry people, lost people, confused people, religious people, self-righteous people. I put in here unvaccinated, but I was just kidding about that. I mean, whichever way you are on that, do, do you pray for the other one. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna ask, I'm asking you to pray for those conversations. I'm going to ask you another thing. Don't rush the conversation. Be patient, but ready to give answers. I want every conversation I have to be settled and over but life isn't like that. Ask the Holy Spirit for opportunities and then ask him for wisdom and discernment, spiritual gifts to be in operation for you to share the word of God. The right time. Use simple, non-religious language. It's really important. You know, if you're in the club already, you know all that. Have anybody ever talked to somebody that has a business or maybe they're in a certain discipline and they just talk this language? Like, you go to the hospital. I mean, you almost have to be, have a medical degree to know what they're talking about sometimes. Well, Christians can do the same thing. Use plain language. The goal should be to plant a seed. Plant a seed. Plant a seed. Your first few conversations may not lead to a conversion. It may not, you may not even be the one that even gets to share Christ with them. But you plant the seed. Questions are good. It's good, too, to say sometimes, like, I don't know. Another good question to ask is, what do you mean by that? Or can you explain this to me? Or I don't understand really what you mean by that. Or how do you know that? So here's the three things. Are you going to let the Bible overrule your heart? The second thing, pray for conversations. And then the third thing is don't rush it. Let God work. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of times where I feel like, I I hate to even say this out loud, but I am like, I could do the job better than the Holy Spirit. I want people to feel convicted. That's not my job. It's his job. My job is to be faithful and plant that seed. So will you love your enemy? Will you pray for them? Will you do good for them? Will you bless them? I'm going to ask you to shut your eyes for a second. That definition of love that I mentioned earlier, loving is caring. Loving is, is sharing your life. Love is giving. People have needs. Love is giving. 
Love is wanting what's truly best for that person. It's not condoning or approving or celebrating behavior. It's actually wanting the best for them. Love is saying no sometimes. Loving is your presence being with people. Your love is listening. Love is love is actually taking their needs to the Father. So I know I've asked you to shut your eyes and bow your heads. I just want I do that for privacy in a room full of people and I know it's tough sometimes. I've been talking about a lot of things and can't tell you how many times after sermon somebody come up and they'll say, "Oh, when you said this and you know, God really spoke to me." And what's interesting, sometimes I didn't I didn't actually say that. What what happens is the Holy Spirit speaks to us wherever we are. Maybe that's a foreign concept to you and for you it might just be an impression that you know you need to make a change. There might be somebody here today that you you have never walked with with Jesus at all. Maybe you've been a skeptic. Maybe you've thought it wasn't true or maybe you've been hurt maybe you've walked away but today you want to reignite or start a relationship with him we would like to pray with you if that's you is anybody here in the room like that today anybody at all you just like to start a relationship with him or renew a relationship with him I'll give you a moment let me ask this next question I don't I don't know what you all are walking through and I don't know who the sermon was really for today. I just was very impressed that this is what our church needed to hear today. But I bet you that as I was speaking, there were certain people on your mind. And you maybe you felt a almost an anxious feeling that ah, that you don't really want to engage and talk to somebody because you don't know what to say or or maybe it's uncomfortable or awkward and you don't want to you don't want the relationship to be damaged. I get that. I get that. What I'm asking you to do is follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. So I'm just curious. With your, again, with your heads bowed, this is private. But anybody here struggling with that, you know that you, God wants you to talk, but you don't know for sure what to say. I just want to pray with you. A lot of hands up, and I appreciate the honesty. Okay, last thing is this. And if you would just stand with me. And those ready to pray, if you'd come down. I know that there's people here today who need prayer for something in your life. Maybe it's to fill, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's... Some of these issues that we've talked about today that you're just struggling with and you know that you need someone to pray with you. We are here for that. So these are uh, prayer team people. These are board members and their spouses. These are uh, pastors and spouses. And they're here because they care about you and want to pray with you. So if anybody needs prayer for any of those things, we're going to give some time for that right now.
right, I'm going to send you out to love this world. Let's do that. Father, bless this congregation. Help them, Lord God, as we encounter people in this world who so desperately need your loving care. I pray, God, that you would, you would already be setting up divine appointments for conversations that will plant seeds, that will change people's lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Those of you at the front, continue to pray. God bless you as you help a hurting world.